what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, learn, and win, and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check out all the other great shows on TheMesh.tv. They're all produced here in Western North Carolina. On today's episode, I have a great guest, Michael Neff with Gear Sports. Michael's in Portland, Oregon, and has some great technology to talk to us about with the Gear Sports program. I'd like to welcome Michael onto the show. I know a challenge to get both of our schedules lined up. I'm excited you got a little time for us, and I just can't wait to talk to you about what's been going on in your world, man. You've got an exciting, an exciting product with the Gear Sports. I know it's... Um, one of the more fascinating pieces of technology in our game right now as a golfer and a golf instructor. Um, tell me about how you came about being the gears guy. Tell me, tell me the story. Where, where did you start out in the game of golf and, and how did it lead you to here? Um, well, I'm a PGA member. Um, I played golf for a, a small little college over in Hawaii called BYU Hawaii. And I wasn't good enough to play for BYU. That's when uh, um, they were like really good back in the day. And so I went to BYU Hawaii. I played golf. Dean Wilson was one of my teammates who had a great career on the PGA Tour. And sure. And uh, I love golf. And I got into the golf industry. And um, uh, I got my first uh, kind of. I went to once I graduated from college. I um, I got my first. Uh, big job at Oregon golf club here in Portland, Oregon. And, um, I was kind of like, I bought this system called the a star system, which some old people I remember it was, a, it was the first of its kind video kind of playback system. Mm-hmm. I borrowed $20,000 from my dad <laughs> or no, I took a, I, he co-signed on a loan for me. And then, um, I paid it off in three months though. I did that much business in three months and this kind of, kind of got me going into tech. And one of my really close friends uh, went to work that worked at Nike golf at the time, right before they were making clubs, right when they started making golf shoes, went to work for Adidas TaylorMade, which was owned by Adidas. And this was kind of back in the day and they developed a system or co-developed a system called the mat system. Sure. Your listeners might remember that they're actually in your part of the woods out of Marietta, Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's a 3D motion capture system um, called the MAT system, motion analysis technology by TaylorMade. And TaylorMade spent about $5 million developing that product. And they generated probably close to $100 million in business from it um, over the years. It was really successful. And I was involved with that early on. So my friend introduced me. He knew I, I was a golf pro and a tech guy and kind of a geek. And that's kind of where I kind of got into the 3D space is um, uh, the tailor-made relationship. And mm-hmm. uh, I basically did all the training and installation on that product. We put about 100 systems out into the market. Um, 
And the challenge we had with the mat system was that the frame rate was kind of low. Um, and we basically, uh, we also didn't have any shaft information. We didn't have the bulge and roll information from the club head. Um, there was just too many things that we didn't have that, that kind of left me wanting to change that. And, and the company basically decided to go into the military and they stopped working on the mat system. And that's the time when we went to uh, Natural Point. And Natural Point is a is a motion, the largest motion capture company in the world. Um, and they make their own cameras and we've created a system called Gears. And um, we basically did a bunch of stuff at that we, we were able to do a bunch of stuff that the mat system wasn't able to do. And that has answered, it's really kind of skyrocketed us into a bunch more information that we didn't know before and um, in particularly about the shaft. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, I was, I bought the first, I, I bought the first, or I bought a mat, the mat system at the time was like $90,000 and I took a mortgage on my home. And you know, I'm a golf pro, so I don't make much money. I literally, my wife is unbelievable. Um, I took a $90,000 mortgage on my home. We paid it off. And um, uh, that basically now you can get a, and, and that, that system was a hundred frames per second and about I don't know, 420 DPI. I don't know. It was really low resolution. And at the time it was the state of the art. Um, the gear system has, uh, goes up to 360 frames per second at full frame, which is um, significant uh, for a number of reasons, which we, if you want to geek out about that, we can, but, um, <laughs> but the, the frame rate's much faster. The resolution, the resolution's four times higher, um, which allows us to measure stuff a lot more accurately. And, um, you know, you can buy it for 30,000 bucks. And so I could have bought three gear systems for what I paid for my first mat system. Wow. And, uh, so we, since, since natural point makes the cameras from scratch, we're the Scotty Cameron of cameras and mm -hmm. we make our, all our custom stuff. That way we can sell the product for a lot less money and still make decent margin. And, um, and, uh, that's kind of the, the genesis of gears. It, it's, it's, right. uh, it kind of had its origins in the mat system and it's, and, and that that's what we're trying to improve on. And, uh, we're now working on a bunch of new stuff that we hope to, you know, kind of have keep rolling out. Well, the evolution of technology has been fascinating to me. I, I mean, I'm a, just a dumb old country boy when it comes down to it, but I just, I love what is happening in our world where we can measure and study and just understand the variation and also the similarities in golfers and what they do and the higher skilled player. Um, there's patterns to what these higher skilled players are doing and your technology is bringing some of this information to light in, in such a way that's going to help our industry. And that's, that's fascinating to me. And I, I got to see the first mat system, I guess, at uh, quail lodge over in Carmel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I remember that system and Bobby Clampett and I went there, did a golf school there cause he grew up there yeah. and they had the mat system. I remember seeing it for the first time there, but, um, you know, so it's, it's a neat thing. And, and so I don't think all of our listeners out there are aware of, of what gears is. I mean, it's relatively new in, in an old game. I mean, it's how many years old is your company and yeah, kind of give it's, them. 
five, five, we've been around for about five years now. Um, right. Right. Uh, we've got about 180 systems globally. And, you know, we really didn't start selling it until about three years ago. So mm-hmm. we've been doing about 50 systems a year. Just, and that's pretty much wow. on my back right now. We're, we're trying to find the right fit to help me out and get some more product out there. And we're just mm-hmm. going into baseball now. But it, it's basically a 3D motion capture system where there's um, anywhere between eight and 12 cameras, depending on what you're trying to do. And they mm-hmm. surround the player and it's optical infrared tracking. Um, so you put the reflective marker on the key joints and on the club and the key joints are on your body. Um, there's up to 41 markers that will put on you. Um, and, and then there's also club, uh, markers on the club and those markers are being tracked by the cameras at a, a latency of 0.2 millimeters, which is the thickness of a piece of paper. Mm. So yeah. our, it's not markerless. So markerless technology is, would be ideal. Uh, because you don't have to put anything on you and you can just hit it and we get great 3D data, but right. we're just not there yet. I mean, we've got, we got a ways to go before markerless gives us the research or medical grade uh, accuracy that is needed in our sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a marker, infrared marker tracking system. And um, we are the only system in, in golf that does body and club at the same time. So we've kind of closed that loop. Um, We've got the body data, the arm data, the wrist data, the grip data, the shaft data, the head data. We also have bulge and roll metrics inside it. So we know where the center of the club is and we know where the, what the data is at touch. Mm. So that's really valuable because we can kind of tell you what would happen if you would have hit that in the middle and what you did do uh, where you did hit it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's proving to be very effective for helping people with off-centered misses or real challenges with common problems. It's easy for us. It makes it super easy to diagnose the golf swing. It, mm-hmm. it simplifies golf. It seems like it's super high tech, but really, and what's really doing is it's simplifying the game. It's really easy to see, Hey, Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Now I get it. And right. Yeah, and that that has been my learning curve with the technology is that at first, um, you know, I, I don't have uh, a gear system uh, near me or in my possession. Uh, I was able to afford TrackMan about seven years ago. And a similar story, you know, you get into this and you tell your wife you're going to spend $25,000 on something that's not a diamond ring or exactly. an addition to your house. Right. You know, you're, you're talking about you're going to have to negotiate your way out of a divorce proceeding. But I had a great wife and she said, go for it. You know, if he's going to teach you something about your craft and what you do, make you better at it, make help make you more secure in the industry, do it. And I did. And of course it was very, very enlightening to, uh, to be able to measure things that we couldn't see with the naked eye or video as good as video can be. But it was, uh, it was limiting obviously for all golf instructors to just use video. And, um, so, um, in getting into technology, it simplifies things for the golfer. And um, tell me, where was the first system you sold? I mean, do you, did you make the first sales presentation yourself? I, I bought the first system. I put it in at Pumpkin Ridge in Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon, and it did not work at all. Mm. Uh-oh. And, uh, 
And so we went to the drawing board and that's where I kind of got involved. Um, and we, we, you know, that's, we didn't really sell any of the first back when it first came out, we had several people interested and we basically said, Hey guys, it's not ready. So mm -hmm. uh, we had to basically put a hold on it. It's, it's very challenging. We've spent probably a couple million dollars on developing this product. So it's, it's not, you know, and these are smart dudes that get paid well. And it, it was a complicated deal for us, but um, it's, it's really just kind of a, um, it took us, I was the first customer The the next customer really was, I think Sean Webb, David Tom's mm -hmm. facility or okay. no, I'm sorry. Um, Michael Jacobs was my first oh. customer. Okay. Uh, up in Manorville. He's a top 50 instructor and a um, sure. uh, really sharp guy. And then Sh Sean Webb was right about the same time. Sean, Sean Webb um, and Mike Renato have the AMG sports and Sean sets up out at, uh, out at um, David Tom's facility in Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, but the, you know, that, and then TaylorMade right now is my biggest client. They have about 30 systems globally. Um, they have wow. five systems on campus. Um, they use it for various reasons. They measure their robot with it. They they measure customers with it. They do a really good job with putting in their putting lab with it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. We 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 have Cobra. We have a lot of customer Cobras. A really good customer of ours. Um, uh, True Temper, um, and a bunch of companies, a bunch of club companies over in Japan and Korea. Um, so I'm really proud of it because it's not just something that golf pros use. It's actually something that uh, companies use to measure the, the, the actual, um, you know, the 3d delivery of the club. And right. uh, I'm heading over to TrackMan here as soon as the COVID lifts and I'm hopefully going to get one in there. I'd, I'd really love to sell them a system. We've, we've kind of uh, become friends and, and um, a lot of my customers have TrackMan and, people kind of realize once they have it, that it doesn't replace TrackMan. It's actually a perfect addition to sure. really high end launch monitors. Um, but it's kind of a, uh, TrackMan uses an old Koala system um, to validate their metrics. And uh, I think we have a little more to offer um, than uh, that kind of that, that, but we'll see. I'm, I don't know. Right. We'll see. I'm really excited to talk to them. Do you feel like with the technology you're currently using, I mean, all the cameras have to be in fixed positions in the indoor environment. Is there, is there a future where we could see this type of measurement data being given to a golfer in a live performance arena? Um, okay. That's a really good question. So first of all, we do have, you can use it outdoor on tripods, but to use it, to use 3d technology, without the cam the cameras is going to take a very heavy lifting of AI and markerless tracking. So for example, if we have a good camera and we take a video of some guy, they tried this on Fox during the U S open a couple years ago and you don't see, you know, they don't do it anymore mm -hmm. um, because it's just not there yet. And so you could take a video of somebody and triangulate that image and do a lot of guessing to kind of measure the joints in markerless. And that's the direction I think that 
these guys are trying to go. The industry, in my opinion, is going for more consumer type of tech that you'll see that, you know, you can, you don't just sell to a golf pro, but you can sell it to a consumer like the flight scope Mevo, for example. Sure. I mean, so many of those freaking machines, it's crazy how much money they're making off that little Mevo because they're going after consumer. So I think that's the direction. And I think with the technology, the cameras getting so much better, you're starting to see products out there that are trying to do markerless tracking. Um, And so you could, in theory, triangulate a a 2D image and, um, and people are doing this right now. We have several uh, markerless companies coming to us because we make cameras and wanting us to do that. We've tested everybody. Nobody's even close. Um, you can kind of get the torso and the arms, or excuse me, the torso and the pelvis pretty good markerless, but there's no way you're going to get the arms or the golf club or the wrists markerless probably in our lifetime unless there is a pretty heavy lift on AI. So that's kind of the, I think we're a ways away from being able to accurately measure the wrists, the arms and the club without markers on them. Um, But I think that's the direction you're going to start seeing people go. You're going to see a lot of phone apps. You're going to see a lot of cameras where say, Hey, get 3d data from your phone. And, uh, um, yeah, I kind of like say, great, go for that because I know that it's not going to be accurate. And I know that any serious golf professional that really is trying to, you know, get good data, um, is just not going to, is not going to rely too heavily on that, that data. It's a no, we're, we're not looking for the cheapest way to do it. We're looking for yeah, the best I mean, way to do it. I think that's the challenge. I mean, it's, there's a race to the bottom on pricing with like, getting things as cheap as possible for the consumer. And I think we need to be as professional. I mean, if you're a, if you're a teaching pro and you, and you want to be, you know, and you want really good data, we got to, you know, there's, there's a price to be paid for that data. Sure. And, you know, and I know my, I know our friends at, at, um, at FlightScope and TrackMan and, and Foresight, GC quad, there's a new product coming out. The tigers, you know, that they're getting ready to launch a new launch monitor. That's supposed to be really good. The tigers can be promoting. Um, that's a really good, I think the technology is going to get better and better. And, um, uh, I, I, I think we'll get there. I think, I think we'll get there, but it's not going to be anytime soon. Right. Well, I I think our consumers should understand that, that, you know, quality comes with a price and, and the quality of the data is what we're talking about. You know, with, with golf clubs, you know, a high quality driver is still $400 and up, you know, you don't see them at 150 bucks now until yeah. they get into, into the junk range. And then in a round of golf, you know, the competition for rounds is, is no different. The quality of the golf course is going to be equated to the fee to play the golf course. And you're never going to see it around at Pebble Beach for for fifty dollars. You yeah. know, so it's it's a relationship of quality and experience, and and that's what I think we have to understand no matter what. But I was just curious. I, I see the game, you know, in in the performance arena versus on the practice facility, quite a bit different in terms of how golfers perform. So I just think that's the direction that we as coaches 
are looking for ways to better measure this player when they're under the heat of battle so we know what their tendencies are, what they do when something matters. You know, it's it's always technical data is very um, isolated sometimes to a practice arena versus a competitive arena. So I'm always looking for ways that that technology can evolve to measure that golfer in a Super Bowl or, you know what yeah. I mean? It's because they yeah. do different things. I think you're right. I mean, the holy grail would be to like, you know, just in a live game scenario, you know, Tigers on the tee, you film it and you can get all the data possible on that particular shot. Mm -hmm. And I think with good video, if you have enough cameras and you take enough video angles of that swing, which is not terribly expensive, um, you can get some pretty decent 3D data off of that. You might not be able to get some of the fine details of the wrists or the elbows or the shoulders, um, but you're probably going to be able to get pretty decent in-game, like 18th tee at Augusta. If you have two cameras or three cameras mm -hmm. looking at it, you can probably get a pretty decent, like I'd say within 10% of what we are going to, the accuracy that we're going to provide. Um, so, I mean, is 10% good enough? And for some pros, it might be, but I still think the challenge there is that, hey, okay, we got torso and pelvis, but um, what about the elbows and what about the wrists and what about the club? I mean, that all matters too. Absolutely. My big challenge with, I think that some of the tech out there that just cuts up, oh, can I just get upper body or can I get just my pelvis? And if I'm teaching just pelvis, if you spend enough time on gears, you realize that I can, there's about a hundred different ways to move the wrists and or more and you know doing all sorts of different moves with your pelvis so even though you might be doing the move that your pro wants you to do with your pelvis or your torso you're still not getting the wrist and the club data which is super important right Absolutely. and that that's like getting i'll give you an example of that um the Tony Finau is, has this really unique move and he's probably the most, has probably the most lead cupped lead wrist. I mean, um, what's his name that won a couple of weeks ago. He's also got a pretty cupped. We'll just talk about the top of the swing cup. Yep. Um, so Tony Finau, basically he keeps that wrist pretty much all the tour players. One of the things we found in common is that, the, the journey of the wrist angles, the, the lead wrist goes towards flexion, whether it's inflection or whether it's an extension, the transition with tour players, the, the, the initial move of the downswing goes towards flexion. So if you're mm -hmm. Dustin Johnson and you're already shut, it actually, he goes towards more flexion before right. it comes out of that. Tony Finau has very late that, that happens later than anybody we've measured by a mile that's playing golf for a living. Wow. So it stays in extension pretty much till about the left arm, the left hand's about the shoulder high. And then it starts to roll hard, like really hard late. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that changes the 3D delivery of the club very much and how the shaft rotates. That causes a lot of shaft deflection and droop, that motion. So mm -hmm. he has a lot of toe droop and it gets worse with the longer the club gets. So 
we made a pretty interesting change right before the British Open last year, which turned out to be a pretty good change. Uh, he didn't miss a cut after that and took mm-hmm. second, I think, at the British Open. And he went on, he, he made a fair amount of cash after that, which I'm super happy. Couldn't happen to a better guy, literally best guy on tour, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, but how that wrist angle changes and how that affects the shaft and the twisting of the grip and how that changes the lie angle, face angle movement was really a big deal for him. And there's no way you can measure that if you're just measuring torso or if you're just measuring the club head. Sure. Um, there's just way too many things. Unfortunately, there's way too many things to consider in a golf swing. Um, we can't just say, oh, you need this one thing and that fixed it and it's good now. There's a lot of things to consider. And what I'm really proud about Gears is that it does all of that and simplifies it in a very usable way. And, mm-hmm. and, I, 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 and it's affordable. So I think that's like, um, that's what I'm really proud about because we get, you need all that data. You can't just kind of skim a few things off the top and then call it good. There's a lot, there's a lot of pieces of the golf swing we need to consider. No, it's a puzzle for sure. And there's a lot of moving parts in the puzzle. And and we hear this a lot in our, our industry about how things need to match up and, you know, players are, are all different, you know, and they're doing things their own unique way sometime and just to understand what that player's doing that gives them the results they're getting. Um, you need yeah. to be able to measure all these moving parts and have some data to work from. Yeah. The guys that, uh, and you mentioned them earlier, um, you know, Sean and those guys, they put up some really good information, athletic motion golf, I think yeah. does a fantastic job of putting up some of this information that their, their data has given them um, in kind of their professional versus amateur posts that you see on social media. So if, if my listeners out there are wanting to go down the rabbit hole of understanding uh, and they don't want to come see me, <laughs> they can get some great information from Athletic Motion Golf. I'm going to recommend you look at some of their videos. And what they're doing is they're using gears, uh, your system, Michael, and they're using this system to measure how the joints of a, of a tour player or a professional golfer, skilled player, move and how those relate to what the high handicap or amateur golfer typically does. And one, one particular uh, article they put up was on lead arm adduction angle. I thought it was a really interesting thing to understand. So the lead arm is the, the right-handed golfer's left arm. And how much more that recreational golfer is moving their arm back across their chest as they make their golf swing because they don't rotate their upper body very much typically. And they make their swing primarily from their left shoulder socket by swinging their arm across their body. And it makes it very difficult for that golfer to get back to impact with the handle in front of of the ball. If they're trying to hit an iron shot properly and a tour player's relationship between their chest and lead arm doesn't change very much about 18 degrees from what I understand this information to, to bring to light. And it's very small angle between the lead arm and the chest for a tour player. Um, Speak to me about what you see. And that's just one example of some big differences. Tell me what the, what we need to know uh, other than that, that your, your product has been able to bring to light. I mean, some of the bigger things that you see. That's a great question. Um, 
So I'm going to pick a couple. There's, there's a lot, uh, but I'm going to pick a couple. Um, one thing that we don't see in tour players, we call it thrust. So the boys at AMG, anybody that has a gear system has all of the tour players that we've captured that they have. So they don't have exclusivity on all these tour players data. So you can actually, you know, if you go to a gear system or you can see this data again, you can see a tour player versus you or whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, in a nutshell, uh, we'll just talk about pelvis thrust, for example. Um, okay. Tour players do not move their pelvis toward the ball on average very much. And, and most of them actually move it away from the ball. So their pelvis actually turns mm-hmm. and sways at the same time. But it also, um, there's only a couple of tour players that we've measured that have any kind of thrust or that have positive thrust or they've moved their pelvis toward the ball at impact. And most right. of them are a negative thrust. Um, most of the amateurs basically move their pelvis toward the ball right around an inch to an inch and a half. So they've moved the ball. They've moved their pelvis toward the ball about the width of a golf club, the club head, roughly. Mm-hmm. Maybe and not quite that much, but I mean, so what that right. does, and, and they basically, they, so we call that early extending. So they basically move toward the ball and that causes the shaft to kind of have to steepen in order to hit the ball. So that kind of, that pelvis movement towards the ball the player runs out of room and the only way to hit it is to raise the handle. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why that, why the average player has that kind of steep over the top move that comes across it is because they're moving toward the ball and their handles basically pitching up mm-hmm. in order to make contact. So that's one thing that we see that um, tour players basically don't do. They don't early extend or they don't move their pelvis toward the ball. Yeah. Um, that's one example. Um, another example would be that, um, most tour players don't move the handle, um, uh, well, there's, there's a lot that do, but most of them don't, uh, like Ricky Fowler moves the handle up quite a bit. So, um, he pitches the handle kind of high as he's coming through the handle comes up a lot and, so, I mean, there's an ex- exceptional player that does that. But most of the tour players keep the handle basically very close to their body and close, cl- as close to the almost where they started um, their Im- impact, where they started the swing. So the, the journey of the handle is, is really quite intriguing. We didn't have that in the mat system. Being able to measure that in gears has been awesome. Um, and just to kind of see the pathway of the handle and how it's moving and the journey of that handle. And so most tour players don't pitch that handle up a lot. They keep the handle down and they keep a lot. Of, they don't thrust toward the ball. And they're kind of, I think they're intertwined, meaning I think that that thrusting causes that handle to get steep. Sure. And those two things are kind of working together. So if we have a lot of toe shots, that can happen from the handle raising. Mm-hmm. Um and a heel shot can happen from uh, thrust with the handle staying down. So sure. 
we've seen it all. You know, I mean, there's tour players that do. And the other thing I've found out is that there's nobody does the same thing. I mean, it's like right. no right. tour players even close. That I mean, they have some of the similar corridors. We created mm-hmm. this tour composite, which is kind of interesting, but oh, uh, it's it's you know it's nobody has the same action though. I mean, we've captured like 70 tour players now here in the U.S. and about 300 globally men and um european tour and asian tours and uspga and i mean we've got a lot of tour player data and we just don't see that very much there's so many different ways to hit this golf ball oh yeah um, yeah it, it is a signature for sure for each player and even even that player you know when people come to me and say look pro i want to be more consistent i mean how, how do we deal with that question i say well Let's talk about that because uh, if I give you a ballpoint pen and say sign your name 10 times in a row here on this pad, uh, I want them to look exactly the same. Is that a human skill? You know, you're not going to be able to do it. You can't do it with a ballpoint pen signing your own name. You're going to need, in my opinion, as a golfer, skills to adapt to different environments, different shots. Inconsistency is a, is a real strange word to even try and describe what you need to be a great golfer. You need to understand the different variables that you're dealing with and, and, and make the correct swing for that situation. You know, it's not ball position, ball height, you know, different lies. I mean, different shots. I mean, that's part of the, that's what makes this game so great is that it's, there's no shortcuts really. Unfortunately, I wish there were, we'd all be billionaires. If there was a show. Well, you're, you're cutting it a lot shorter for us by providing this insight. And, uh, you know, it is great insight, you know, to have. And so, huh. you know, I was, I was standing in the middle of, well, in between two holes in Pinehurst uh, for a U.S. Open practice round uh, several years ago. And I see Sean Foley walking with a player. He's walking with Justin Rose. And, and we, I bumped into him in the middle of the, I guess, 11 and 12, something over there. But said, hey, Mr. Foley, what's happening? And we, we got into a conversation. He was so nice. He was about 20 minutes. We sat there and chatted and spoke about James Lights. I think at the time, yep. James purchased a gear system from you. Yep. So I was asking him. He was one him, of our first two. Yeah, I said, have you been down with any of your players and gotten your players on gears over at James's place, or are you going to buy a system? And we just talked. He was so informative and, and, and nice. And it was just really fascinating to hear a top coach teacher at that time still is you know, talk about how valuable it is to know what, what makes this thing work, you know, for each player and how different it is for each player you deal with. And um, well, I'm so really that- proud of that. I mean, we have a lot of top 50 coaches with gears. Um, the, it's a little bit like, uh, I think a lot of coaches, people are scared about it because it's, it seems like a lot's going on. Um, you know, there's eight cameras, you got to have a studio. It is 30 grand. It's not free, you know, it's, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta have customers, you gotta have income, you know, you gotta kind of, but I'm kind of proud of the fact that almost every one of them charges more for a gears lesson. I don't know any other tech that allows you to actually increase your rates. Well, that's very proud about that, but like the best coaches in the world using our product. And, and I think the, the, uh, the truth is, is that it, it really helps simplify that game and answers good questions. And one of the things I, I have a lot of respect for coaches, um, I'm going to shout out Boyd Summerhays here. Well, like, you know, he's like, dude, I, I kind of have a few questions here about Tony. I don't know what's going on there. Like something's happening and I can't quite figure it out. 
Like right. I think that is a sign of an excellent coach, an excellent coach. And I don't think there's many coaches out there that have the balls. Sorry for your listeners. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. That's ask, the appropriate term. <laughs> ask that question because right. it would, they would say, well, wait, that, that's showing that I, I'm, I'm showing my vulnerability that I don't know everything. Sure. And you and I don't know everything. And there's stuff that James Lights knows that neither of us know. And there's stuff that Mike Jacobs know that none of us know. And, you know, but there's stuff that he doesn't know that I do know. And, and we're all here to this thing together to help people get better. And right. I really, I really admire coaches that are willing to like, listen and willing to learn. And, and I think that's for your listeners, you know, that that's, you, you want a coach that's going to listen to you. It's not going to browbeat you. Somebody that's like wanting to do whatever it takes to help you get better. And uh, there's a lot more to learn about this game. Well, I, I tell my players all the time, I said, I don't have all the answers. I'll work hard to help you find them. And it might be that I take you somewhere. We get some measurements or some information that I can't provide uh, because in, at the end of the day, nobody has all the answers. We're, we're all uh, continuing to learn and search for those answers and, I say it all the time. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I know, I know what I know and it's very little to be frank. Um, but that's, that's what it is. You know, we're always in search of that. So as, as we continue to grow and and learn and we understand this moving thing, we're swinging and putting force and torque and, and energy into it to get it to move because we, we know the club does none of the work. (laughs) Uh, uh, we put work into it and make it move. Uh, this shaft is moving. Tell us about what is going on in a lot of these swings in the shaft world. We, we need That's to understand great. that. That's a great question. Okay, so basically think of it like, um, uh, well, I'll give you a good example. Um, I did a kind of a blind test with Lexi Thompson and her brother, Curtis, who plays on the Corn Ferry Tour right now. Mm-hmm. And I took a Cobra driver, both of them are Cobra staffers, and I scratched the um the logo off of the shaft so they had no idea what shaft it was and i said i want you each to hit 10 balls and tell me what you think so lexi's lexi swings right around 100 miles per hour with her driver maybe maybe she can get up to 103 or something like that curtis can get it up to pretty close to about 125 he moves it and uh so i had them hit their shots and I said, so what, Lexi, what did you think? She's like, this thing feels like a wet noodle. And uh, just the shaft feels super soft to me. And it was really spinny. And then I gave it, and then Kurt, her brother was not there. And then uh, later that afternoon, her brother came in and I said, okay, I want you to hit this club. And he hit that club. And he's like, dude, this thing feels like a board. <laughs> what, what, what is this thing? So at 125 miles per hour, Curtis said this shaft feels super stiff at hundred miles an hour. Lexi said it felt like a noodle. <laughs> All right. So it's the same shaft. They're playing the same club. It was a stiff shaft um, and 65 gram stiff shaft. I just scratched. It was a blank shaft to them though. Right. And if you were to look at the two players swings, the way that they, I call it the way they offend the shaft or way they bend the shaft. Mm-hmm. Um, Lexi kind of throws it from the top. She's kind of an early thrower. She kind of releases the club early. That uh-huh. generates a lot of club head speed, actually. And uh, contrary to what we hear a lot, that casting is bad for speed. Right. And it can be bad for speed if it's 
out and steep, but it can be very good for speed if it's done at the right time. And um, she actually bends the club more than her brother Curtis does at 100 miles an hour than 125 miles per hour. So the shaft, basically how you're moving the handle, how you're kind of snapping the towel, so to speak, or how you're shearing your grip, uh, the right hand and the left hand, how they're kind of fighting against each other the whole time, um, and how you're twisting the club. There's three axes to it. There's, you know, there's twist, there's deflection, and then there's droop. And mm-hmm. everybody does it different. Like there's, there's nobody that has the same pattern. Um, there's consist. There's things that they have in common, but there's nobody has this, a singular pattern. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the the way the shaft is basically, it, it, we're, we're measuring how they basically snap the towel, for lack of a better word, sure, or how much they're twisting it. Um, and so for your listeners, probably a simple way to think of this is, um, the more rotary players. So like somebody that turns a lot mm-hmm. and that would be a player like David Toms, um, Boo weekly, Boo weekly. Um, uh, who, uh, there's another one that I'm not thinking of Curtis Thompson in this case, um, mm-hmm. that I was just telling you, um, uh, Lee Trevino would have been one of these players, somebody that's mm-hmm. super open with their shoulders and hips, um, that mm-hmm. kind of more of a rotary player. They don't deflect the club or they don't bend the club as much as a player like Bubba Watson does or Lexi Thompson does. Gotcha. So, they snap, Lexi snaps the towel more. She's more vertical. Her body kind of works more vertically uh, than it does rotationally. And that vertical kind of stand up, you see the long drive guys have, those guys really bend the shaft a lot. So they're kind of snapping the towel early. Guys like David Toms turns so hard. He could use a ladies flex and it wouldn't matter. He barely offends the golf club. Gotcha. So if you're kind of a snapper, or if you don't have a lot of rotation, you probably need to err on the stiffer side of things. And if you're more of a rotational player like a David Toms is, it kind of doesn't matter what you play. Kind of just whatever feels good. Because you, you, you love the shaft more through through the plane of the swing, I guess, yeah. and it's just wanting to deflect and go toe down on you as much. Yeah. yeah. There's also a there's also a kind of an interesting so the shaft drooping, meaning that the toe goes toe down, and every, pretty much. Every, every golf swing in the history of mankind has shaft droop. So the shaft is always kind of drooping down and the toe dig, the toe digs. So you're going to find this interesting. I did a a case study with 11 Korean women who combined make about $15 million. And I, I was able to do a blind test with them. And what we found was that the longer the shaft got, the more it drooped. So the lie angle would be flatter on a three iron as it was, than it would be with the pitching wedge. So mm-hmm. some of that is from the length of the club. Some of that is the speed at which they're swinging. Mm-hmm. So if in, in all these cases, they're all these women basically are fit for their clubs. And like, let's say their seven iron was one degree flat. Well, they had all their clubs made one degree flat. Like most of the customers do. Sure. Well, the problem with that is that the long irons in every case, the long irons would go more right short irons would go more left. Wow. In every case with these women on a blind test. And the blind test was super important because if you let them see it, they'll make adjustments to it. Sure. 
So if you were to do a blind test with your customers, I can assure you that the wedges would go less right and the long irons would go more right. And a lot of that is because the, the lie angle and the lie angle is something that's extremely hard to measure accurately. A track men trying to take a stab at it. It's a little tricky for them. Um, uh, GC quad does a pretty good job on that. Um, but measuring lie angle is really difficult to do and how that lie angle influences the face angle is super critical. Um, sure. Just ask our friend, Tony Finau, the, you know, that long irons, when we saw him, he could not hit turn over a long iron. Like his long irons were like low slices mm-hmm. and that made a huge difference for him. Like, you know, this, So basically what I'm saying is that every club should be treated differently Mm -hmm. and the longer the clubs should be a little bit more upright and the shorter clubs should be a little bit flatter because of the way the shaft is moving. So that's a little, that's a little, um, something that we're working on right now that, uh, that we're learning about shaft movement. And, uh, so if your if your customers out, reader listeners out there are having a hard time turning their long irons over, um, there's a, probably a pretty good chance that the toe's digging too much. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. You know, if, are we going down a rabbit hole of understanding the variations in shafts themselves? If I had 50 shafts that were manufactured as the same flex, the same brand, the same model, how much variation are we going to see from that shaft? Great question. So um, the shaft companies are actually getting way better at consistency. And this was not the case 10 years ago. Graphite shafts were all over the place. And even steel shafts were all over the place. You never knew what you were going to get. Really hard to get a batch of eight shafts that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the factor of the spine. So the shaft has a spine too. And how the spine goes into the club, if it's not going in the same direction, you could have some movement there. So we sure. do we do a fair enough robot testing to kind of figure this out. We've done so many independent studies with gears, measuring different shaft properties, um, that we have figured out that um, some shafts are definitely better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, the best producing iron shaft is the Obon CT steel, which is actually made by a company in Japan. And it's manufactured, it's uh, marketed here in the U.S. as Obon. And okay. it's the only seamless shaft in, uh, steel shaft in golf. Mm-hmm. And the dispersion on that, on the robot, was unbelievable. And if every human saw this test, they would sell more shafts than anybody in golf. So I'm pushing them hard to, to get this study out because... In other words, having no seam does improve dispersion. Um, sure. The graphite shaft that did the best iron shaft that did the, is the Mitsubishi OTI, um, outperformed every other graphite shaft by a pretty considerable amount. Again, it's not def- it's the consistency of how much it deflects and droops. So, for example, you'd have one. The robot is really consistent, but there is a little bit of like a little bit of movement in it. And mm-hmm. so like you'd have one swing and it was like the shaft would deflect maybe 15 millimeters. The next shaft, it would deflect 15.5 millimeters. The next shaft, it would deflect 16 millimeters. 
So mm-hmm. the deviation on that Oban shaft was literally like, um, you know, probably like a millimeter and a half where mm-hmm. like we put in a very popular branded steel shaft who I will not say their name. And the deviation was about five millimeters. Right. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but five millimeters to a golf ball is a ton. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot. Trust me. I mean, it, it, it's about 10 yards of dispersion over time. So if you hit yeah. enough balls, you can kind of figure that out. And so, to a tour player, it's a lot of money. <laughs> in other words, if every tour player, if Obon had the marketing budget and uh, they were able to get that shaft into every tour player's hands and they didn't, if they had enough money, I believe within my heart that every tour player would be playing that shaft. It, that is, they just don't have the, the capacity. Oh, the power. Yeah. The marketing they, power. They, you know, yeah. that's a very good little company that they're trying to really grow. And, and um, the uh, that's a big shaft company in Japan that makes that, but it's uh, it's, you can't buy it over here. You have to buy it through Obon. And yeah. they have, but, but that that's one example of some of the stuff that gears does that, you know, being able to figure that out. However, that being said, um, the deviation among shafts these days is way better. And I think that the future of our game is going to the, I think we're going toward, I don't think the club manufacturers can really make these clubs go much faster. Like Mm -hmm. on a centered shot, the, the distance difference on the robot at 100 miles per hour that we tested between the M5 and the SIM on a centered shot was about a yard. Right. And actually, the the Epic Sub Zero and the Maverick Sub Zero, the Epic Sub Zero actually was a, like a fraction faster than the Maverick. Or sorry, the Maverick was a fraction faster, but on the miss hits like the sim outperformed Maverick on mishits pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Maverick was a smidge faster on the center shots. So mm-hmm. I think the companies li- literally are like, they are up against the USGA's uh, wall big time. Mm-hmm. And so I think customization of products, shaft movement, you know, um, grip size, grip shape, um, head shape, color, movable weight. Um, that's that's how we're going to have to do it from now on out unless they change the USGA rules. I mean, we're really, everybody's making really good drivers right now. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's all, the, the playing field is is going to see more equality in the equipment and it's going to be just a matter of getting the club fitted properly to the individual player that, that optimizes performance now. Because, yeah, they're hitting the limits of, of what they can do with the technology. A great opportunity for teachers to start to embrace club fitting more, which is really my goal. Like what gears kind of does is it's it, it, it in a nutshell, it, it kind of brings club fitting and instruction together because we've right. tied the grip to the, we've tied the body to the club. So we now have that we've bridged that gap. So it's no longer just club head or just body. We've got both. And mm-hmm. when you see that, people that have it realize pretty quickly like, ah, okay, now I can see how teachers should be fitting and fitting should be teaching and they really should not be separating. That's really a problem right now in the industry is that we're separating club fitting and instruction at a high, at alarming rate. And I think anybody that owns a gear system or that has access to one 
realizes pretty quickly that you can't change one without the other, and nor should we. And that's a great opportunity for, for teachers and fitters to, to really improve their, their craft and, and to, um, you know, really get better. Well, I agree. It certainly is the direction our industry needs to go to continue to improve our, our golfers. Michael, I tell you, I cannot thank you enough for being on with us. You've shed some light on some very shadowed areas in our brains as golfers and bringing things like this to light makes our industry, uh, flourish. And hopefully we can get you back on soon. I'd love to have you come to the area. If you make your way over to North Carolina, I know travel is pretty restricted right now for a lot of folks, but, uh, Best to you the year to come. I'll make you a deal here, bro. Okay, we'll do it right here online. I'll bring the system to your facility. Um, I can get about 10 people a day on the system. And uh, I will charge $100 a person for my time, plus whatever you want to charge. So maybe we call it 200 bucks for a gear session. You get 100, I get 100, customer pays 200 they get an amazing gears experience and we can do 10 people a day and we'll, I'll stay, I'll stay for at least a couple of days. So we can get 20 of your listeners on for 200 bucks a pop. Oh, wow. My phone is ringing right now. <laughs> That'll cover my, that basically covers my expenses to get out there and, and, uh, and it makes you a little cash and you know what you deserve. And if you want to do that, I'm in, you just pick the time I'll be there. Let's do it this right. fall. Though, so it's not so blasted hot. Oh, you bet. You bet. I will not bring you to North Carolina with this heat, man. We were 90-something today, oh. and, the, and the humidity was probably parallel with the temperature. So I'm not going to do that to you, my friend. Oh, I'm all over that, bro. Let's do that in the fall. I'm I'm, I'm in, 100%. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. Really, really appreciate your time today. And folks that are listening, that is Gears Sports with Michael Neff. If you want to be reached, Michael, tell us how you want to be reached by our listeners. If they have a question about Gears or where they can go find gears for themselves and they're traveling, uh, they're going to need to reach you. How's the best yeah. way to do it? So gears, uh, gearsports.com, that's the website. Michael Neff Golf is my website. And Michael Neff, Facebook, Instagram, just look me up, Michael Neff Golf. Uh, you can catch me anywhere, any questions that you might have. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book, man. And, and I can't thank you enough. We really appreciate you being on the show. Cool. It's been the forecast, folks. Thanks for listening. Our guest, Michael Neff with Gear Sports. If you want technology that measures the body, the club, all the data put together in those relationships, there's nothing better right now in our world than Gear Sports. Thank you so much, Michael. We'll speak soon. And that's been the forecast, folks. Hang tight. Look forward to seeing you all soon. And hit your ball down the fairway, golfers. Find it in the short grass. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.